As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And I'm joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. And Doug, I'm pretty sure your day is gone like my day, which is how... I come around to asking, how is that snow shoveling coming along? Uh, well, we were buried so deep, uh, we had to get a little help on this one. Uh, and then yeah. it, was a, it was that moment where, you know, your wife says to you, we have a bunch of children here that could shovel. <laughs> I think it was that kind of that, that epiphany that, that kind of hit today. And I was like, yeah, that is kind of true. Why am I doing this? I have a, I've had bad backs before. I'm in my 50s. So, uh, yeah, we, we got a little more help this time. Uh, but, yeah, there was a, about a foot out there close to it. And, um, yeah, it's it's serious. But it, I think it stopped. Did it stop out here? Let me check it out. Yeah. So now we just got to deal with the melting and the slush. and So no school, no work, nothing happened. But, of course, Starkville is never closed. 24 hours. Uh, you can get a, a bagel, uh, a hoagie, or some iced tea. Uh, 24 hours a day. So be happy with that. Yeah. Well, you know, I always find nothing makes me celebrate pitchers and catchers more than shoveling snow. Yeah. You ever notice that? But today, uh, there was a knock on my door just as the snow was letting up. And it was my neighbor. Not just any neighbor, the one with a snowblower. And he was volunteering to clear a bunch of snow of all the places I would normally have to clean off with my trusty 
shovel. So I don't know what you would have said. Here's what I said. My hero. Thank you. Okay. So I get out my shovel. I did all the easy stuff. He, he got his snowblower going. He did all the hard work. And then he turned off his snowblower and he looked at me and he said, I've never been more excited about baseball season. <laughs> I, I relate to that as I push snow off my windshield. How about you? Well, the thing, when I think of a shovel, I think about if baseball evolved to the point where instead of a bat, you could use a shovel or a tennis racket, I would have hit much better off of Randy Johnson, these guys. So it just, that's what it makes me think of. How would, what kind of hitter would I have been if I could use a shovel instead of a bat? That's, a, that's, that's kind of where it goes for me. But the way it should have worked was Randy Johnson had to throw a snowball so and you had to hit it shovel. I would pay to watch that. Yeah. That, Let's that, do it. Okay. Yeah. Exploding. They say exploding sliders. Uh, I would exploding snowballs. I like that. So, Doug, the next time we do this show, I'll be in spring training, at least. <laughs> and one of the first people I will definitely be sure to say hello to is this week's special guest in Starkville. It's Kyle Schwerber <laughs> of the Phillies. Kyle, welcome back to Starkville. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me back. Uh, I think last time I was golfing. And <laughs> yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you about that. Like, yeah, okay, that, that. Almost a year ago to the day, right? You were here. You were the first Starkville guest of spring training 2023. And it was one of our all-time memorable episodes. <laughs> and you were doing the show literally from a golf club. <laughs> While playing golf with JT Realmuto, just wanted to check: have you have you ever yeah. done that before, with any show or any podcast in America? No, not at all. I, I actually felt I, I I felt terrible doing it like that, but I'm happy it worked out that that we were <laughs> let it work out. But uh, and JT was able to throw in some side commentary to the, yeah, he was. So. Uh, while everyone waited to watch me shank a shot or something like that. Uh, But it was fun. Do you think that made it, made your golf game better or worse? Blame it on us. It was worse. It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. My game, my game is what it is. It's not that good. I'll tell you that. It's not that good at all. If I can stay, if I can get in the fairway or and play off of the tee, I'll be all right. But I just like to try to swing as hard as I can sometimes. So, (laughs) Yeah. Now, so I noticed you're not on the golf course for this show. W- what happened there? Yeah, uh, we're still actually up here in Ohio at my house. Uh, we had our second kid not too long ago, so I'm trying to spend as much time as I can up here before I go down to spring training and spend time with them. And uh, we'll you know see what happens after that. But, uh, yeah, I just want to be able to spend as much time with them as I can before you know heading down there to spring training but it's been a blast uh two boys now so uh yeah it's good it's like tick down the t- it's like a ticking time bomb right now just <laughs> waiting to waiting to explode so it's awesome though it's so much fun yeah you got the first three spots in the lineup covered now anyway <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah we, we're gonna have a pretty you know we're gonna have a pretty good uh football team here one day yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean and so kyle what has that done like fatherhood the big shift the mentality 
I mean, what has it meant to you in terms of like how you just view the world, view the game? Yeah, it's so much different. I mean, you know, you, you know, back when you're playing this game and, you know, you go over four, you think the world's going to end, you know, that you're, you're in a slump, say you're over 15 and you think the, you know, that's the only thing that matters. But at the end of the day, you know, that you have your family and, you know, now it's, it's all about what the, you know, trying to be there any possible way for them. And then obviously when, you know, you head to the field and you're at the ballpark, it's, you know, you're, you're trying to give all your effort and attention to, uh, the team and the, the trying to win a baseball game at the end of the day, but you, you definitely look forward to, you know, getting home after a, after a good game, bad game, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Kids are just happy to see their, their parent and uh, love on them. So I, I think that's definitely the most rewarding part about it all is, you know, especially at this age, they have no clue what you do. And uh, they just look forward to seeing you every day. And I, that, that's the best part. Yeah, it's special. Um, all right, I have a question for you. Did you watch the Super Bowl, like in between changing diapers? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. We actually had a pretty – we had a Super Bowl party over here at the house with all of our friends, you know, a little going-away party. So uh, it was definitely a, definitely an interesting Super Bowl, a good Super Bowl. Um, you know, it shows you the, the little things matter, you know, the black PAT, and next thing you know, the Chiefs walking away with it. That's right. Yeah, You know wh- – one reason I, I wanted to ask you about this is the Chiefs obviously have now won two championships in a row, three in the last four years. And like there aren't many players in baseball right now who can appreciate how hard it is to win better than you can. Now, I, I, you've played in the league championship series five times. I'm sorry to remind you, but you have one ring to show for that. So when, when you watch a team do what the chiefs are doing even though it's a different sport can you relate to just how hard it is to do what they do yeah i mean it's it's you know and especially in in their sport where it's just always one game one game you know that that's that's what they're preparing for you know know, for us we're preparing for a, a series where uh you know anyone can beat anyone in one game you know i think that's the that's the, uh, the the really cool thing to, and what you appreciate what they do uh, on a yearly basis where, you know, they might have not had the strongest regular season um, that they wanted to have, but they were able to go out there and when, when it matters, they, they, they perform. And um, yeah, you can't say enough about how, you know, they just find a way, you know, that was the biggest thing that, we were all saying is that the closer this the, the game stays, the more you're just giving the Chiefs the, the Chiefs the chance to win the game. And you know, it's like every time you see that you know Mahomes and uh, their team in a two minute drill trying to drive down the field, you feel like it's going to be a, you feel like it's going to be a touchdown every time. You know, that's why San Francisco needed the to uh, the score there and try to separate it, but uh, they didn't. And it's really cool to see it. You know, I, I feel like the the best person that you could go ask is those people from the Yankees teams or uh, go back to the Giants one in three and six years, right? That's yeah, that's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. And especially in our game, you know, just, uh, you know, anyone can beat anyone in our game. You know, you, you want to have the best teams at playing at the end of the year. And that's t- that tends to happen, right? And uh, he, it, it's just such a crazy 
you know, the postseason is just a wild factor in all sports. And that's why it's the best because it's the purest form. It, it doesn't matter about personal stats. It doesn't matter about uh, a, 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 an arbitration number or anything like that. It matters about a win and a loss at the end of the day and who's going to hold the trophy up. Yeah. You know, there, there's also this part of it. Um, I, I, I know your team had a painful ending to your season. Think about the 49ers. I've been thinking about this for like three days. The 49ers led in the last minute of regulation and they led in overtime of the Super Bowl and they did not win the Super Bowl. That's incredible. And uh, it, it makes me wonder when you're so close as your team has been, how much does the way last season ended stick with you? Yeah, I mean, I'm still not over it. I thought I was over it, and I actually saw a highlight of something about it uh, pop up on my phone, and I tossed my phone. I was, you know, <laughs> Did <done>. you really? <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't happy. Um, you know, it it sticks with you. It really does. You know, especially when you're so close, and you know, it, it, and I think the thing is too is like you expect. You know, you, you don't expect things. You know, you want it so bad, and you know, when you put yourself in a really good position it, and it just happens not to work out, you know, I think that's the thing that really hurts more. You know, I think I would have rather just got our asses kicked for five games, whatever it is. We went home besides, you know, playing, playing good baseball, seven games and, uh, you know, walking home at the end of the day, you know, that, that stinks. And, you know, even the year before in the world series where, you know, you're a, a jumping play at the wall away, or you're a, a ground ball down the line away or, um, you know, whatever it is the the be there that, that close two wins away from a, a holding up the trophy, like, man, you know, it, but that drives you, you know, like that, that's the, that's the driving factor. And, you know, I'm excited to show up to spring training and and excited to see how everyone has came in and prepared to where, you know, we, we're pretty much going to have the same team. It's the same team coming back. And we were, we were that close last year and it's on us to get the job done. It really is. So um, there's no finger pointing. It's just on us to come together as a team and, you know, it's going to be a long journey, but to figure out a way to, to get back there and make sure that doesn't happen again. Well, and, and Kyle, like, you know, with all your experience, postseason experience, and you've had it in so many different scenarios, right? You know, young teams, veteran teams, being a leader, rookie, uh, all these points of view that you've brought. Uh, do you see any through line between all those postseason experiences that, kind of either put some cliches to rest or, you know, some formula of what you believe to be the success, like how you find success in the postseason? Yeah, I mean, I, th I feel like experience is a big thing, right? And obviously having success is another thing where, um, like I said, you know, this is all about winning a game at the end of the day. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's just being able to, to kind of embrace that craziness to where mm -hmm. you know the the, the stands are going to be 
slammed in Philadelphia. You know that when we go on the road, it's going to be slammed. It's going to be loud. And the more that you're able to embrace that one, but then be able to, to control it and harness it and be able to, to really lock in on what you, you're trying to do up at the plate, out in the field, on the bases, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the separator. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's just such a, it's such a different brand of baseball. It really is. You know, I wish that everyone could experience the, the, the hype and the, uh, intensity of a postseason. and, you know, making a deep run in the postseason, it, 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 there's just nothing like it. And it's that addicting feeling. And I think that's another thing too, that drives you, you know, when you get so close that that's what drives you, you know, it's, it's like it, everyone always talks about, you know, this is the best form of baseball. I'll never forget Gregory Soto. You know, I think he closed out uh, game two of the NLCS last year. And he was like, that's, he goes, that was awesome. <laughs> it was just for postseason, right? He goes, that was awesome. You know, like, like the, those are the cool things you you see of just people that haven't been there, and they click into that that mindset. It, it's it's really cool. I want to ask you about your team's off season. I, I've been thinking for a while. This has to be Dave Dombrowski's quietest off season ever. I mean, you're used to Dave signing Trey Turner and 12 other guys five minutes <laughs> into the offseason, right? And this winter, he re-signed Aaron Nola right out of the shoot. And then since then, I, it pretty much stayed super chill. Um, a few death-type moves. That's really it. Um, knowing how Dave normally operates, how much has that surprised you? Um, <clears throat> I mean – I don't know if it's shocking or if it's just the fact that, you know, everyone, you know, I feel like everyone kind of forgets that we just went out and gave a lot of money to Aaron Nola. And that's the, you know, the, the best way that I can put Nola is, is that, you know, 200 inning arms just aren't walking around the streets anymore where, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a lot of different uh, beliefs in the game of baseball but you know, when when you're able to, to go go out there, take care of your body like he does, uh, he's able to post every single start, and you feel like he's going, you know, six seven innings almost every time, and he's racking up the innings. That's that's innings that that keeps your keeps your bullpen fresh. You know, like that's the way I look at it. Is you know, if we don't re-sign Knowles, who's gonna, you know, I don't know who we go get, but you know, it might not be a 200-inning arm. It could be an extra 40 to 30 innings on a bullpen in the year that they would have to cover. So, um, you know, that that I think that's such a, a, a huge pickup for us to be able to bring him back and who's experienced postseason like he has. And, you know, you, you put them with our whole starting staff. And, uh, you know, look, you look at our offense, like, you know, there, there's – no, there's no real hole in our offense. You know, like I said, that the biggest thing is just it's it's time for us to get the job done. And, um, we want to get the job done. You know, we want to go out there. We, we want to win the East. Uh, you know, we, we don't, you know, we want to go out there and we want to make another deep run and hopefully hold the trophy up at the end of the, end of the year. But 
you know, there, there's just no real hole on our team that you can put your finger at, you know, and be like, okay, you know, this is a, a big need, right? Everyone looks at you. Know, trust me, you know, if you if you were to go out there and sign a Choitani, you know, guys like that, you know, who wouldn't be excited? But you also got to be excited with a bunch of uh, guys who have gone to battle in the postseason and know what it takes to the the win games in the postseason. And uh, that's what we have. Well, let me ask it this way. Do you think that there is a danger to pretty much running it back? Uh, you were a Cub. You won the World Series in 2016. Um, I mean, I'm thinking you probably remember <laughs> 2016, what happened afterwards. Uh, but if I remember right, Theo and Jed pretty much brought back the whole group intact. Uh, so in retrospect, what did you think – was the maybe the most worrisome downside of taking that approach and does it apply to this team you know it's really hard to say i mean even like when is, you look back is there a motivation like, factor i'm just even like like even when you look back in, in 2017 the cubs went to the nlcs right that they were and you know, we just got the crap kicked out of us by the Dodgers for them to go to the world series. But, um, you know, so I, I don't know, I don't think there's real, a real big danger of being able to say, you know, we didn't do this. We didn't do that this off season. Um, you know, I, I think helps great, right. Helps always great that anytime that you're able to bring someone in new and, are a, a fresh face, you know, you're, you're going to break, you're going to embrace them and you want to bring them in the, the winning culture that you feel like that we've all created here in Philadelphia. But also too, like I said, I, I, I don't know. I just feel like this team is, is a pretty dang good team when you look at it on paper. And like I said, I think it just comes down to us at the end of the day that, you know, we we have to be able to trust ourselves and believe in ourselves that we know how to, to get there and we just got to get it done. You know, it's not a it's, it, nothing in this game is guaranteed. You know, it's not guaranteed that we're even going to make the postseason this year. You know, we have to go out there. We have to earn that right. Um, you know, it's not a it's not a guarantee that the Braves, the Dodgers, uh, you know, the, the Astros, the Rangers are going to make the postseason, right? They, they go out there and they earn it. And, uh, you know, so that's what our focus is, is, you know, trying to win our division. If not, we try to find a way in the postseason and go from there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, Kyle, was, you know, thinking about the, the maturing of your team too, like, you know, you've always had that clubhouse presence, the leadership, and you've embraced that early on, but now you certainly have more veteran side to you where you've had the experience and certainly the postseason. Uh, can you speak to how Bryson Stott, Alec Bohm, and, and these younger players that came on the scene in the playoffs for the World Series, who kind of just showed up, right, <laughs> midseason in some cases, and perform really well. And then the leap that they took this uh, last season and sort of what your role is or how you see your role in kind of helping players like them and the others that are following, helping them along. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like that's a really cool thing that you look at with our team is that you see a lot of our guys who were quote-unquote younger and, and still are young and how they keep improving their game. Um, you know, I feel like, Bryson Stott is one of the top second basemen in the game. You look at Al Bohm, who, um, you, know, you know, I'll put my money on that guy. If there's a guy on, on third base less than two outs, he's going to get him in somehow, some way. And the way that he keeps improving on his defense, it, it, it's been fantastic. Brandon Marsh, uh, who's going out there and, and, and putting himself in an everyday role uh, by the way that he's able to control the strike zone and, and you know, run the bases, play play left field at such a high level, center field at such a high level too. And, um, you know, you look at guys who took big steps too in the, the rotation. You look at Sanchez, uh, who took big strides for us last year, and Ranger, who's, you know, this you know, this guy's got the potential to be uh, a, 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 an ace, in my opinion, uh, you know, with Nola and uh, Wheeler. And, uh, you know, you just keep – Looking around our team, you see the strides these guys take. You know that's what it's about. You know, and for us older guys, where you know we've been in their shoes, you know, it's I think it's kind of just like the leaning shoulder to, you know, experience. You know, if you've experienced things, where you're able to kind of pass the, the information along and know that it's not the end of the day and that you got tomorrow, and uh, or you got you know this next inning, you got this next half inning, go out there and make a play on defense, whatever it is. Um, you know, so I, I think it's so cool to see how these guys are still growing and, uh, you know, looking for, you know, looking forward to seeing this year and really see these guys blossom in to the players that they're going to be as they keep getting older and much more into their prime. I mean, is there, is there any particular piece of advice that was passed down to you that you, you kind of use on the young guys these days? Um, you know, I, the biggest thing that I always got told was, you know, uh, John Lester always said this, you know, the best way to get paid in this game is to be a winner, uh, you know, be known as a winner. You know, if you're, if you really invest yourself into your team and in uh, the getting a win at the end of the day, you know, I guarantee you that you're doing something good to help the team win that day. And, um, you know, so, that's just been the biggest piece of advice, you know, win, 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 win. And if you really 
buy into this winning at the end of the day. And uh, you, you probably did some really good things out there to help the team win. Hey, Kyle, what do you think the chances are that you'll lead off this year? I don't know. You know, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> we'll see. You know, I haven't, no one's even, you know, talked or anything like that. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, I've been in the leadoff spot for quite a bit now. But uh, if they want me to not lead off, I'm not going to lead off. And I'm going to embrace that role that I'm in. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I mean, I ask because the more I think about it, the less you remind me of Juan Pierre. You know, like, <laughs> there, there honestly has never been a leadoff quite like you. And it's it's cool because it works. Like Your team played <laughs> at the pace of a 99-win team last year in after they made you the leadoff hitter. So obviously it works. Just fascinated by how it works. And I know I've run some of these numbers by you before, but – Tell me what you think when you hear some of this stuff. Um, you, you hit 197, and you still led your team in runs scored. You know how many players, let alone leadoff hitters, have ever done that? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I okay. I looked it up. That would be none. Nobody. <laughs> uh, you hit 197. You still had a higher on-base percentage than Bo Bichette who hit 306. He <laughs> led the league in hits if he hadn't tweaked his knee late in the season. You had the higher on base. Does that surprise you? I, I guess so, yes. That, that, that would be surprising, yes. Uh, okay, one more. Um, I, I think I told you this one, too. You led off 108 games last year, and you had the highest OPS leading off a game in the history of the Phillies franchise. That was uh, it wound up at a thousand fifty six OPS. We're gonna get to you in a minute here. <laughs> and okay, so a thousand fifty six OPS, and yet you hardly let off any of those games with a single. Which <laughs> guys used to do for like a hundred years, right? You hit six singles leading off the game all year. What does that stat say about you? Hopefully, I hit more singles this coming year if I am leading off. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you always find, you always te- uh, tend to find one of the more intriguing stats for me that to, uh, to think about, but, um, yeah, like, look, you know, I think the biggest thing is looking at those stats where, you know, yeah, like I'm able to, I'm able to, you know, do damage one at the plate and I'm able to, the, the take, uh, take a walk, but, you know, there's all, you know, I think there's things also too that I'm going to need to improve on and that I want to improve on. So, um, you know, I want to be the best version of myself. And I feel like, you know, last year was, you know, obviously there's good to take away from it. There's bad to take away from it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cool stats, like you said, and, uh, you know, that you're able to accomplish, but, you know, I feel like there's, there's still a lot more in the tank of me. I, I, I want to ask you what you think the other team is thinking when you step into the box to lead off the game. But first, I, I want to loop in my friend Glanville, okay? I want to ask him about you oh. because, as I'm sure you know, he was once a Phillies leadoff. Oh, yeah. So you remember 1999. Is that correct, Doug? Uh, can't forget it. Cannot forget it. All right. No. How many hits did you get that year? Uh, 204. I had 204 hits, yes. Right. And- Yes. 
many, many. Of, I, I missed a lot of games. I got got hurt at the end of the year. Missed a bunch of games, so that, that made me second in the National League in hits behind Luis Gonzalez. So I remember right. that year really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure you did. <laughs> Look, you got many, many, many singles leading yes, off a whole lot of singles that year, right? You, oh you yeah, fifty. Kyle Schwarber had six. How close do you think you two guys were in OPS? What do you think, Doug? Actually, I mean that wasn't a bad OPS year for me. That was probably my best year, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know. Was I even at 800? I was probably like 200 less than him. Yeah, you right. So you were you had an 887 OPS leading off the game, which is one of the best in the history of the franchise. And this guy beat you by almost 170 points. Yeah, is that is that crazy to you? So not you know I, I think what I appreciate about Kyle. I mean I I saw him when he was in Indiana covering him uh, when he played against Florida State in a couple of the tournaments. And just how he already had that major league hitting approach from the beginning. And I, I think what I also appreciate is that, you know, he, the leadoff position didn't change him. And I think that's a, that's a big stress about leading off, especially if you're not as much of a power guy in my case, where it's like, oh, you got to get on base and you're trying to manufacture things that aren't necessarily in your framework. And the guys that can hone that in, I think they can they can do well. And, and Kyle is like, I'm going to bring Kyle to this. This is what you're looking for. And, you know, there's a version of Kyle that always knows the strike zone, gets on base, and that sort of plays. But he also maintains the game that he's, you know, really taken to that next level, and that is the power game. So that's what impresses me about watching him because he's like, he's, he stays in his game and it still gets his team the W. So uh, I know that's not a question, <laughs> but but, uh, but that's uh, you know sort of my observation of just just watching him. So for me that was that was challenging because I always felt like I had to walk. You know, it's like even though I naturally felt like I was kind of more of a Trey Turner style swing and get my hits, and as soon as I wasn't hitting, I wasn't getting on base. So I guess my question to Kyle is uh, the stolen base total, man. It's kind of you know. So is that is that going to percolate <laughs> back up a little bit? You know, you know, I want to see those SBs I really, in there. I really, I really hope so. You know, I I, uh, <laughs> I went from ten to zero, so that's <laughs> not good. Um, yeah, you know, I think the the biggest, you know, I want to, you know, I want to find ways on the bases. You know, I I feel like that's another unsung thing in this game of trying to find a way to get an extra ninety or an extra. Uh, you know, 180 feet, you know, if you're able to go first to third or uh, dirt ball read, steal base, whatever it is, try, you know, if the guy's not, you know, really paying attention to you, the, the go, you know, things like that. Uh, those are things that I look forward to, to trying to, to, to get. And we have a really good first base coach and Paco Figueroa who uh, is is able to give you a lot of information on a lot of different things. And, you know, when you get the first base and you have a question, he has the answer for you right there. Hey, Kyle, do you have any questions for Doug about hitting leadoff? He did a oh lot of <laughs> yeah. I need I need to figure out how to get 206 hits with the you know, <laughs> Yo, heck, you did that not even playing a, a whole dang year. That's that's really impressive. Yeah, it was um it was a you know, it's that feeling, man, that even the first at bat, even if when I went 0 for one, I just felt like I would knew what was coming the next time. It was you know, it was a true I felt a step ahead. And there was years I felt a step behind, but 
that year I just felt like I knew what the pitcher was trying to do, and I and it was more of a I had like a feel for it. Um, but yeah, it was uh, the well. The fun part about this is my 200th hit of that season was a home run off of the Cubs <laughs> who had traded. Me. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, that was just like oh, that was a beautiful thing. That was beautiful. <laughs> Apparently, he still remembers it. Who knew? <laughs> everyone remembers their everyone remembers their first to bat off the team that they they started off with. Or... Oh yeah, it's it's a beautiful yeah. thing. Sweet. Uh, or let, let's circle back to this, uh, Kyle. What do you think the other team is thinking when you step into the box to lead off a game? Or or maybe a better question is, what do you want them to think? <laughs> um, the thing I want them to feel is you know that they feel like they can't establish right out the gate. Um, that you know, if they want to try to get ahead without really locating, uh, you know, I'm going to try to put a really good swing on it, right? That, um, you know, it might go over the fence, it might be uh, a double, it might be a, a hard hit out, it might be a, a six, six singles throughout the course of the year. Uh, but you know, that, that's the biggest thing is that not letting them feel like they're selling in right to the right to pitch one. You know, I want them to feel like it's, it's an uncomfortable feeling from when they're throwing that first pitch. And uh, if you can do that and, you know, I always say the biggest things, you know, when you get someone that, uh, you know, you work that walk in the, the first bat or say, you know what, you, you get ball one right off the gate and it's, uh, you know, way off or something like that. You know, they're they're already thinking about. You know, they don't want to really try to get ahead with, you know, throwing it just on a third. If they're trying to aim for a third, you know, it feels like they're trying to aim for a quadrant of the zone, and they're trying to really be perfect with it. So, um, you know, those are the things that you look for, right? And uh, you know, you 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 want them to feel the presence there because, you know, if they, they end up walking me, I got Trey and I got Bryce and I got, you know, all those guys behind me that can easily just pop one or, you know, hit a double and drive me in. Okay. Was there, um, when you think about the new rules, particularly the pitch clock, did that play in at all in terms of your strategy to elevate that pressure on the pitcher? I mean, how did you ultimately see the pitch clock and, employ it in, in a strength of your game yeah you, that, you know I, I felt more um I, you know I, I don't feel like it really benefited the hitter much really um you know it, it's i feel like it was more of a benefit to the pitcher in some realms of you know being able to hold the ball for eight seconds or seven seconds and deliver it at one second, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, but, you know, for, for us, I guess the biggest thing was just trying to figure out your own routine to where, you know, if you want to look up at 12 seconds, if you want to look up at, you know, right at the last second, if you want to look up right away, you know, and just being ready for, for the whole thing, right. That, that's a big thing. So trying to figure out what you want to do with that pitch clock and how you want to operate. And, you know, for me, it kind of determines situations on what I'm going to do uh, with, with what I'm looking up for the pitcher. 
Well, speaking of, uh, I was going to ask about new rules very quickly because I know you were outspoken about the running lane, and uh, apparently I was a thorn on a lot of people's side about the running lane. So, what you know, what do you think about this? The running lane change? You, you, yeah, thumbs up. I, you're kind of waiting to see long, what's up. Yeah. yeah, I think it's long overdue. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't see how you would ask someone to, you know, especially a right-handed hitter who has to run in fair territory um to run at an angle into the into the foul territory you know <laughs> side of the bag right that you know it, 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 it's like why won't we just put the bag in fair territory fair fair territory if we wanted to make the running lane the right way um you know so luckily they were able to extend the you know, extend that. And I think that's going to be good for the runners. You know, obviously safety still is a big thing, right? First basements and uh, collisions over there, right? I, I think that, um, you know, you always want to keep that in the back of your mind. But, you know, I feel like not rewarding a, a bad throw, an errant throw um, is going to be a good thing. Yeah, I hear you, man. I mean, that that's... Yeah, lane is in foul, base is in fair, right-handed hitter starts in fair. And, uh, yeah, it was really tough. So, And I, and it's like you said, rewarding a bad throw. Yeah, I, I like the idea. Even though I know we as runners can see what's happening in front, sort of like a pop-up in the infield. You understand you ought to get out of the guy's way because he can't look anywhere else. He's looking at the ball. But in this case, there's two players involved on the defensive side, and in a bad throw – could put you in a bad spot. So I think wadding it. And I didn't want to put my name on it yet because they're kind of jokingly call it the Glanville rule. But I want to wait to see how it plays out first. And then, you know, I might jump in there. So I'm going to see yeah. if this works, you know. We'll see. Yeah, I feel like the biggest thing too is, you know, like you just said, the, you know, you, you see it, but there's most of the times this rule applies is when you don't see the play, right? You know, that the play is behind you when you're running and you're just trying to – the to beat the play the first base and you know you, you don't know where you're at in the, in the you know the old quote-unquote baseline um that you know that's when that errant throw comes in from either it's the catcher trying to make that spin play it's third baseman coming in on a bare hand play and the throw might slip away from getting up the line and you know if you're out of you know if you were in fair territory you're technically out of the baseline and uh you know you they're technically out. So, you know, I've seen way worse ones get called. You know, I think everyone also remembers the, you know, Trey in the World Series. Um, yeah. you know, that one. And I also witnessed Trey, Trey with <laughs> of Washington. We were actually playing the Cubs and it was a pass ball. And the first baseman was actually in foul territory. So he's in the baseline and <laughs> like, okay, so. If he's here, I'm going to go to where I'm going to be, and it's an errant throw, and they called him out of the baseline. Crowd. It's like, right. so what do you want him to do, this truck the first baseman? So, uh, yeah, yeah, I feel like this rule is definitely going to be a good one for safety and also just for um, overall just sense of the game. Yeah. I, I'm just glad we didn't have to go through a whole show and not talk about Glanville on the running lane. <laughs> <laughs> that <would've been> <laughs> it, it it tends to come up <laughs> when when, I, when I, the first call I had with the commissioner's office about this rule. They said, 
your pal Glanville is going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody's aware. Doug whines about this. Up sometimes, amazingly, people listen. <laughs> anyway, let I'd love to finish up the way we did last year. Uh, a little lightning round action. Five quick questions. All you have to do is answer by telling us the first thing that pops in your head. Sound good? All right. Let's hope it's not a bad thing, but all right. No, no. These are all fun, okay? So you're a spokesman for the Wawa convenience stores. Uh, You're basically the king of Wawa in Philadelphia. (laughs) What's your very favorite hoagie at Wawa? Uh, It's got to be like the Italian you know, an, an Italian. So I, I think I made my, I actually made my own and got to put a couple of different toppings on it. But, uh, you know, the Italian would definitely be a go-to. Right. Didn't they, they, wait, they named a hoagie after you, didn't they? Yeah. I, th- I, I, I figured, I don't know if they called it the Schwarber or the Schwarbaum or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are there banana peppers on it? Cause I think you like banana peppers. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's right. correct. You gotta like banana that. peppers. <laughs> Absolutely. You gotta like banana peppers. <laughs> All right. Okay. So what, what's that, thing that's most different about playing in baseball compared to playing i'm I'm sorry playing baseball in philadelphia compared to playing baseball in chicago oh man (laughs) it's it's weird because it's like there's not really one thing that you can point out you know i guess like it's really hard to point out i mean Okay. Both places I'm at, you know, you've won, right? That that's that's huge. Is that you got great? You got a great team. When you're in the postseason, both places were rocking. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 very similar, but also there there are differences too. And you know, I think that in Philadelphia, you know, they they expect the best out of you every single day. And I think that that's a really cool thing to have is that they want you to be great every single day, even though you're not going to have it for, you know, you might not have it for 40 games out of the year or whatever it is. Uh, You know, they, they still hold you that standard and that's what we hold ourselves to that standard too, as baseball players, you know, we might not, you know, we might not just openly go out there and say it, but, you know, every time that we go up to the plate or whatever it is, we feel like, you know, we're going to get a hit or we're going to make the play, you know, that that's, that's just how we operate. I, I probably should have asked you about go Cubs go versus dancing on my own, but we'll skip that. What's that? I said, we'll skip that one. Yeah, we'll skip. <laughs> right. I, I know Sorry, last year Sorry, we asked you about your favorite quirk or feature of Wrigley. But you also played at Fenway when you were with the Red Sox. Do you have a favorite quirk or feature of Fenway? Um, I think the favorite one would be the the ladder on the the monster. <laughs> Ever yeah, hit that ladder? Yeah, I haven't hit the ladder. I didn't hit the ladder, but uh, you know, hopefully, I can do that this year. We're going to uh, I think yeah. we're going to Austin this year, so hopefully, get into one oppo. Hopefully, it goes over the fence. But if not, I kind. <laughs> to hit that ladder and see where it takes off to. <laughs> yeah, get ready to run. Uh, Br- Bryce Harper, what is something about Bryce Harper that nobody knows? Oh, man. it's a great, great question. Um, 
I would say the uh, the work ethic, you know, and the quality of work. You know, I, I feel like that's kind of like the un, the unseen thing from what we do. You know, I feel like if you were to just ask a a normal person, you know, they think that we probably show up at four o'clock for a seven o'clock game or five o'clock for a seven o'clock game, get strapped up, you know, hit a little BP, and then we're playing the game. You know, I think the biggest thing is. You know, the way that the, the preparation is there, and that's this really cool to see, and the quality of it, and to see it, the concentration and the work when you sit there and you just observe that, you know, that's what makes him, you know, one of the best baseball players to ever play the game, right? That uh, he, he really focuses in on what he's doing before the competition starts. So for when you do go into that box and you're competing, that's all he thinks about is competing. Yeah, he's certainly uh, he's he's obsessed with the idea of being great. It, it, um, you can't be great at anything if you don't aspire to be great at anything. So uh, that definitely shows. All right, one more. This is like an audio daily double. Uh, we're going to play it for you, but you hit a home run last year in St. Louis, but not just any home run, right? Because <laughs> this was a home run that caused all sorts of trouble for your friend of ours, John Cruck. So, <laughs> let's listen to how this one sounded. Then I want to ask you about it. Tell you what, he hits a home run, I'll go up on the arch. I know you're just messing with me. Oh, if he hits a home run in this at bat, well, I can't go tomorrow. What, what time's that thing open? Blasted to the right field corner, and it is gone. <laughs> Kyle Schwarber with a laser home run into the right field corner, and it'll send John Cruck to the St. Louis Arch. I don't think he ever did it. I, I, don't, yeah, I, don't, right. know, I don't know if he ever did it. So I hope when we go to St. Louis this year, I hope he's coming on the trip because we got to get him up. Oh, you're, you're in charge of making sure he comes on the trip. So yeah. just to fill people in, John Cruck, deathly afraid of heights. Yes. Because of that home run, has promised to take his first trip to the top of the famous <laughs> arch in St. Louis. So here, here's my question. Oh. What's the first thing that Cruck said to you after that home run and what did you say? I think uh so I think that was like a big big like uh big viral thing that that happened and then I, I saw that and I said I saw him I said you going up he goes he goes no I gotta leave <laughs> he's like I'm out of here so uh yeah I, I'm really hoping that we can get him on this trip and and get a get him a picture up there at the very top. I would love to see that. I'd like Ooh. to see that little tiny arch elevator. That'd it's, be fun. It's tight. Yeah, if you're claustrophobic or heights, no, that is not for you. It is tight. Um, but yeah, crocky. Love to see that. Well, look for the video of that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, hey, we're gonna put you in charge of this, man. You got to make sure he makes that. Goes <laughs> up that arch. Right. I, I don't know. Uh, I think. Uh, I think Crucky's going to do whatever Crucky wants to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really hoping yeah. that we can get Crucky up there. What a what a what a special human, man. That guy's uh you know, it's always fun to talk ball when he's ever by the cage and everything like that and what a beautiful human he is. Yeah, well, truly. Speaking of beautiful humans, 
so much fun to have you visit us, man. So thank you for carving up the time. Uh, please come back again sometime with or without your golf clubs. And I, I'll see you under a palm tree soon, I hope. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you for having me. Always uh, a pleasure to talk shop with you guys. and uh, we'll, we'll definitely do it again next year. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. All right, it's that time again. It's time for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Doug, we just keep on rolling, man. We still have not gone through any calendar month without getting at least one question right since mm-hmm. 2022. So where do you think this ranks among the greatest streaks in baseball and podcasting history? Well, the first thing I think of is uh, the inventors of the airplane, the Wright brothers. I think we could rename the podcast in their honor. Um, but uh, so I think avionics, I think flight. That's what I think of. <laughs> Better to be the Wright brothers than the wrong brothers. That's what I would say. <laughs> so at any rate, uh, this is our uh, – our, our first shot in February, um, mm. and I'm, I'm a little nervous about it. I don't see any opening to take advantage of the Glanville line here. <laughs> a little subtle cheating, but you never know. Maybe we won't need it. Uh, so let's find out, okay? Let, let's welcome back this week's special 
Trivia guest star. It is Adam Ryder. Adam, welcome back to Starkville. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again. So happy to have you. Now, just remind us how many times you've been here before and how that's turned out. Uh, this marks the third such occasion. Uh, the first time was uh, September of 2020, and the uh, last one was late August of 2022, so almost two years exactly apart. So uh, I'm moving up in the world, only about 18 months. <laughs> okay. and, and you stumped us twice, or how's that going? Uh, one and one. Uh, the first time was shortly after Tom uh, Seabird passed away. There was a question about which pitchers had 75 wins or more for two teams. You got that correct. Last right. time was an Albert Pujols-related question, named Ooh. four of the five pitchers he had homebird off of. Three of the four were mentioned, so 75% of the way there. So we'll call <laughs> it the one and one with a bit of an asterisk. <laughs> all, all asterisks are irrelevant to us, just so you know. <laughs> no, no asterisks apply to any of our devious means of trying to get these questions right. Uh, all right, one more thing. I'd like to give our trivia guest stars a chance to tell people where they're from, what team they root for, so go for it. Uh, from Brookfield, Connecticut, uh, and I am a long-suffering New York Mets fan. <laughs> That'll probably continue, but good luck. <laughs> uh, David Stearns is really good, so just give him time. Uh, okay, uh, this question's really fun. It's much harder than it looks. Uh, Adam, why don't you tee it up for us now? Among players active after 1950, three Hall of Fame inductees played at least 500 games for three different teams. Mm. Newly elected Hall of Famer Adrian Daltrey is one. Who are the other two? Okay, so we've got to name the other two. Uh, really fun question. Yeah. Said tougher than it looks. And, mm -hmm. you know, Derek, I've thought about it. For one thing, as Adrian Daltrey reminds us, in, in order to play 500 games for a team, you almost have to be there for at least four seasons. So that's yeah. for three different teams, right? So that's yeah. one thing that makes it hard. Uh, another thing, mention this, we can't use the infamous Doug Glanville operation multiple choice scheme because we only need two answers. Sorry about that. Hmm. But I think there is this. It can't possibly be a pitcher because <laughs> it's in 1,500 games in 1950. That's impossible. So... We need two Hall of Fame position players, 500 yep. games for three teams. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so it feels like Ricky Henderson is one. You know, we always forget that guy. But what, what do we think about him. Ricky, Doug, right? A's and Yankees for sure. I guess my yeah. question, what would be the third team? That's the tough one because, I mean, he played for everybody, right? Dodgers right. and... Yeah, I don't, I don't, so that's, so I don't that's know a, if there's a third team. I'm not know. sure about that one. That was my first instinct. Uh, yeah. Jim Tomey, thought about him. Yeah. Indians, I like White Tomey. Sox for sure. But he wasn't in Philly for four years. I don't know. He was a twin for four twin. years. So Maybe. I don't Maybe. know. I don't think so. So I'll keep, I'll keep him like in reserve. What about Eddie Murray, right? Orioles, Cleveland. Angels. Dodgers? Oh, that, is it? Yeah, Dodgers? Right. Okay. He that's didn't play with Angels, did he? No, maybe I'm thinking. He might have passed through uh, there. That, that's a thought. All right. Um, okay. Paul Molitor. I thought about him. Twins, Brewers, Blue Jays. Not sure if the Blue Jays were for four years. Um, like, I've really got a lot of names written down, Doug. Uh, yeah. 
Jackson, Andre Dawson, yep. Pudge Rodriguez, Wade Pudge. Boggs. Uh, you know, I don't have anybody, though, from the 50s or 60s. And the wording of the question makes me think Ugh. I must be missing somebody from way back in time. So, Doug, I'm really confused in this one. What, do you, who do you yeah. know best? I mean, I have similar, like Dave Winfield, maybe. Did he play, you know, Yankees? Padres, Yankees, and then... Padres, you know. Third, though. Uh, Roberto Alomar had a lot of teams. A lot of teams. A lot of teams. Um, yeah. yeah, Harold Baines, did he hit? I know it was White Sox, Orioles. Who's the That's third? It, maybe. What about Don <laughs> Baylor? And now the manager of the Colorado Rockies, Don Baylor. Not a Hall of Famer, though. Like, oh, too bad. These 60s Hall of Famers, none of them. Can, can we just get a last name and then it covers everybody? So if I said Robinson, <laughs> that would just Jackie, Frank, everybody. Okay, Frank um, was Orioles, Reds. Definitely those. He had MVP in those two Eagles? teams. I don't know. I mean, managed, yeah, I mean, he managed. Yeah. That's a good one. I like Frank Robinson. Not a bad guess. Um, yeah. Four years, man. I mean, well, in your answers, I, I like Tomei. Um, who did you mention in the beginning? Reggie, you said? Well, uh, I mean, I mentioned Ricky. Then we talked Ricky. to Ricky. Oh, yeah, Ricky. Uh, Eddie Murray, Molitor, Ugh. Reggie, Dawson, Pudge, Scott Rowland. Did he play for the Reds for four years? Maybe mm. not. No, I, I, I don't. Cardinals, so. Phillies. Oh, okay, Fred Lynn. Fred Lynn is he a Hall of Famer? Hall of Famer. Should, okay. Wait, uh, Red Sox. <laughs> Ooh, I don't That's know. That's the question uh, going here, huh? Well, let's. I, I, you know, I mean, I like Ricky because it's just he's played for forty years, so somewhere in there, maybe he overlapped. I don't know. I, he played a lot of games. That's for I mean, sure. Tommy. What about the but no, like nobody from the fifties or sixties comes to mind, right? I said that might have been yeah. like a, a decoy. I mean, they always moved around, right? They just they they didn't move around as much, right? Well, I guess weren't, weren't, weren't as many teams, so there weren't as many options. But yeah. we're obviously missing somebody. I mean, well, yeah. who played forever the longest time? Willie Mays, right? He played forever, but it was pretty much the same teams, right? Um, oh yeah, Pete Rose, but he's not in the Hall of Fame, right? So. Uh, Aaron, but there weren't three teams there. There was only no. Braves and Brewers. Right. Uh, so played a long time for one team. Yeah, a lot of one teamers, right? Right. Every no one line was Aimer. Pitcher, Jim Cotter, pitcher. Yeah, Pujols, not to be continued. You know. All right, let's let's, uh, let's just narrow this down. What do we what do we got? Yeah, right. I don't know what we got. Uh, we have um, Frank, Ricky, Mike Robinson, and. Uh, well, he said, oh, we have to only get two guests. Oh, my gosh. We'll never get this. Um, what did he say? Ricky? You want to just Frank? guess Ricky for the sake of it? We Winfield? Tomei? All right. Tomei, Winfield, Ricky, Frank. Any of those? I like Frank. You like yeah. Frank? Okay. Yeah, because we'll he managed, managed the Indians after he played for those other teams. So. All right. So we'll go Frank. Although he didn't play a lot when he was a manager, eh? oh, but at least played. he gets his more farther back in time. Yeah, maybe that's like a trick question. He kind of has managed, you know. It's gonna go okay, yeah. Frank. Um, so who else? Winfield. Hey, I got a question, Adam. Does, um, would this guy have had to have made it as a player, or because he had made it as a manager? Played for three different teams, five hundred plus games. Right, but suppose he was player exclusively. Okay, it's a all right. So like somebody like Joe Torre is not. Yeah, no Torre. 
All right, that's just limited. Reggie, Reggie and who, Doug? Uh, Ricky. I mean, I when someone's played that long, I figure you just want to guess. Over. Over. Okay, I'll do it. I, we're gonna get it wrong anyway. So I don't know. <laughs> I, okay, I, like at first I thought we'd get this. I'm not sure we're even gonna get any of them now. So I don't I know if we're gonna get any. Of them. <laughs> it's Frank Robinson and Ricky Henderson. Final answers are Frank and Ricky. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Uh, the correct answer is one of them you mentioned a number of times, Reggie Jackson. <laughs> and the other one, I don't believe I heard mentioned, uh, another recently elected, Fred McGriff. Crime. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, the I, ultimate excellent journeyman. Everyone yes. else you mentioned basically played 300, 400 at least. Uh, I think right Roberto Alomar was 400 or more for four different teams. I think, oh, Ricky, man. I think Ricky played about 400, maybe a little bit less with the Padres, which was his third most team. Uh, Paul wow. Molitor was 400 plus for three of them. But Reggie mm-hmm. and Fred McGriff are the only two at 500 or more. For wow. three teams. It should have got crime, though. Crime would have been. I, I, uh, Doug, I just spent a week in Cooperstown looking at Hall of Fame plaques. Yeah. You would think that would have helped. Well, I kind of, I always think yeah. of like the guy, the ones that are always fighting over like, what hat should I wear? That's what I kept thinking about. <laughs> uh, I didn't, I forgot the crime dog, man. Yeah. Least, all right. Good question, man. That, that's yeah, great. Really There's good. so many uh, close I, answers too. Like, we, we, we got it wrong. We got to throw a bunch of fun names out there. Whatever. <laughs> as, as always, whether we get the question right or wrong, no, nobody out there cares because the best <laughs> part of this segment is coming up now. That's the part. That doesn't include us. Okay, it's the part where we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play another special little play-by-play clip involving this week's answers. So, Tim, you got great options once again. What'd you come up with? We're gonna go with Reggie because I don't think we've ever used well, a legendary Reggie call back in the World Series, 1977, Game Six, his oh. third of the game. Mr. October was born. Uh, Howard Cosell and Tom Seaver on the Yeah, call. right. And, uh, yeah, did, good to see that Cosell was letting the moment breathe as always, huh? <laughs> <laughs> also, another, another question. There was no tail of the tape back then. How the heck did they know it went 75 feet? Yeah, 475. It was halfway up the black seats. Cast. Yeah, it was halfway up the black seats. I don't think it was 475. Yeah, it was, uh, whatever. It was a fun, fun moment, fun call. Fun to hear Howard go sell again. Uh, Adam, fantastic question. As always, uh, great to talk to you again. Please come back and visit us again in Starkville, okay? Absolutely. Sliding, catching, and going into the dugout. So as you probably noticed, this is a baseball show, so we don't normally talk about stuff like 
Super Bowls. But something happened the other night in that football game that caught our attention. And it inspired this week's trip to the dugout. Uh, That's where our friend Doug Glanville likes to hang out this time of year, telling his sensational stories about baseball and life, life its own self, to anyone who has the pleasure of listening to him. So, Doug, uh, this week is such a great chance for you to address something that people can't seem to stop talking about since that Super Bowl. And, And that, of course, is... Which Taylor Swift song best describes that game? Okay, that's not what they were talking about. <laughs> but it's actually, it has to do with that moment in the first half where Travis Kelsey got a little worked up. He almost pulled over his coach, Andy Reid, because he was basically, what, breathing fire over how he was being used in the first half or something that effect. And so, all right, so afterwards, they both swore that they love each other. And... You know, I'm guessing probably it struck a lot of people out there as being phony or just kind of the usual spin. But I I know that you've had a coach in your life, Doug, that you once had a really difficult time with, but you emerged with an appreciation of this guy that has stuck with you for basically the rest of your life. And I, I think it would be awesome if you would tell us all about that yeah jay i mean it's um you know i've done done some work over the years certainly as a parent in coaching uh but i've actually done some pretty deep uh research because i work with united states anti-doping agency uh at one point when we were reviewing the impact of coaches and and young athletes sort of making certain choices about whether playing clean or just how they perceive sport in general and um, in, in their lives. And certainly one of the data points that sticks with me always is that coaches in many ways have so much more influence uh, over our families, our children, than even parents in many regards because they're, uh, you know, they're doing something they love to do, they're competing, and the lessons just keep on giving. And so th- it made me think a lot when you, you mentioned Travis Kelsey and the relationship with Kansas City and obviously a champion. And I thought about one story that fits that roller coaster sometimes of emotion with coaches is, is Jimmy Pearsall. Uh, Jimmy Pearsall was my outfield coach and the roving outfield instructor for the Chicago Cubs when I first signed back in 1991. I was 20 years old. And I reported to Geneva, New York, and New York Penn League. And I remember one day they said, Oh, the roving outfield instructor's in town. And, you know, you're going to practice at like 5, 5 p.m. tomorrow. So just be there. So I'm like, Okay, cool. So I stroll out to the outfield at like five o'clock. You know, I get there, I'm on time. And he's like yelling at me. He's going off on me. I'm like, what? What's? I'm, he's talking about being late. I'm like, it's like five o'clock. He's like, being on time is five minutes late. So I'm like, okay, I get it. <laughs> so Jimmy Pearsall and I did not start off well. Uh, he did not, he was not a fan of college, uh, college education in the sense of like, oh, you guys think you're smarter than everybody, you're overthinking. So he had no love for that. And here I was going into spring training. And remember, I got drafted as a junior. And I had a whole senior year to go back to. And I was intending to go and graduate. So when we played in the fall, we had fall baseball, I was on the phone saying, hey, you know, I got to schedule my classes because I agreed to miss a couple weeks of class to go train. But then I was going to go back to school and, you know, 
pick up where I left off. And at one point we had a break and I'm on the phone, pay phone, and he's just cursing me out being on the phone. It wasn't like during practice, we had a break. And he's like, you know, you need to get permission to be on the telephone. I'm like, what world did I just enter here? Right? So um, it was it was different. And, and you know, really down to the nitty gritty, the background, you know, Jimmy, <clears throat> you know, had a, a sort of a coal miner family experience, a different, you know, investment in education. I mean, we came from two completely different planets, uh, race, whatever, socioeconomics, whatever you want to say, degrees. And yet, through all that tension in the beginning, we slowly started to gain some understanding about, wait a minute, we share this game we love. We both work hard. We both want to be successful. And there's something here to build on. And the strange thing about it is that first year in Geneva, I took a swing and I had a, a stinger go down and I had this kind of nerve issue. And I had to deal with it kind of my whole career, just like work through it. And they, at one point, you know, I think I got like an MRI or did these tests. And they told me, look, you can't train with your, you can't hit and you can't wear a glove and run down football, you know, put your arm over your head. So I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And so Pearsall, we said, let's, let's get to work. So we did a bucket of baseballs and he'd hit them and I'd run without a glove and just run through the ball and then go back and run through the ball. And I slowly watched kind of it melt away. Like there was a little new kind of respect and mutual respect. Like, okay, this guy's willing to put in the work. And, and Pearsall was relentless. He wanted you to move on every pitch. Like, the ball's in the zone. You got to be on a jump. He never wanted you flat-footed. You were always thinking the ball's hit to you. I mean, he had that expectation, and he never missed a beat. If he missed, he saw it one time, he was coming out of the tower and be, be on you. And he had drills that I'd never even seen before. He would intentionally jam himself with a fungo to, to get the big swing and then the weak contact. And it would, it would help you not like go back and then come in. You just hear and you start listening. Okay, sound, sound. It matters to be able to read that the ball was hit well. I mean, this guy was genius. and uh, But he had an edge and he would curse you out in a heartbeat. He'd kick your glove down. He said, this is the worst glove I've ever seen and kick it off the field. Uh, Never use a trapeze <laughs> glove. What kind of glove is that? You lose the ball in the webbing. I mean, just go off. And then he's back at it. But I, it, it was the greatest lesson for me about how you could come from diametrically opposed lives and, and resumes or whatever and absolutely find the centerpiece of your life be something that you both have passion for, that you both love, and it could melt away all that into this incredible friendship. And Jimmy Pearsall became my number one advocate. When I got to the big leagues, he was like, he should start. He was on the radio, you know, cursing out the front office for not making me a starter. Uh, this guy just became my number one advocate. I mean, it was the biggest 180 you, you could imagine the way we started. And and so, you know, I remember I had an opportunity to write about him when he passed away. I think it was probably six or seven years ago. And, um, you know, I wrote this piece in, in a, sort of a eulogy. And uh, it was so powerful to hear friends of his, his, his wife, Jan, reach out in tears just saying how much I captured the man, you know, because there's a lot of misunderstanding about Jimmy Pearsall because, you know, you know, mental health, and he ran the bases backwards, and he just did all kind of wacky stuff. But behind that was a a, a man that would be loyal, uh, was a great teacher, uh, was going to be really hard on you and say things that may be inappropriate at times, but if you can sift through it, you find that pure heart of someone who just wants you to be the best you can be. And so to all the coaches out there, uh, you know, 
you never know with a little bit of patience that you can reach people. And whatever you, whenever you do, uh, it will last a lifetime. Thanks, Jimmy. Wow. What an amazing story. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, not everyone would have come out the other end of that moment with a relationship that you had with Jimmy Pearsall and that he had with you. Uh, it, it, it's, it's special, Doug, and, and you're special. So uh, thank you for sharing that with all of us. Hope people enjoyed that. Okay, that is going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all spring training long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the fabulous spring training coverage we all write in The Athletic, uh, I can tell you how to do that. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe for just $1.99 a month for the next 12 months. But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show, we pick a fun listener trivia question, and then that lucky listener gets to join us right here. And proof once again, there is no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. Uh, to do that, you can email us at starkville at theathletic.com, or you can do what Adam Ryder did. Hit us with your questions at X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, Doug, you were formerly known as Doug Glanville, mm -hmm. so how would people find you to ask you a question on X? Well, you know, I guess technically I was, I was born Douglas, uh, so there's, you know, maybe there was a, another version of myself. Uh, so I'll go with Doug and just kind of roll with that. So therefore, to find me, you just hit that at symbol and put my full name without the LAS. So it's Doug Glanville, at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. -L -L -E. And amazingly, you'll find me. Yeah, thank you, Douglas. Uh, and you can find me at Jason ST. That's Jason with a Y. ST. Uh, just hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. And, and by the way, I also uh, asked for questions this week on both Threads and Blue Sky. We get some good ones. So look out for us there. Finally, Doug, thanks for playing, man. Thanks to Kyle Schwarber for visiting us. Thanks to Adam Ryder for the great trivia question, which we whiffed on. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will see you soon. Oh, 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 oh. Starkville. Oh.